Xbox On. Hello and welcome to Xbox On, a podcast with one host about one console, the Xbox One. I am said host, Jesse DeRosa, and on today's episode, we'll be talking about the latest Xbox news for the week of July 25th, 2019, including Remedy writer Sam Lakes is interested in a potential Alan Wake 2. A new Xbox dashboard update is on the way, and unfortunately, Cortana has been left behind. And I played the Gears 5 tech test this past weekend, and I'm going to share my thoughts on that with you. All that and more coming right up. This week, I'm going to be trying something different with the news segment. Rather than preparing some thoughts on the week's news in advance, I've simply written down this week's big stories and left the thought and interpretation aside so that the opinions expressed during the news segment today will be more organic and natural. Let me know what you think, or if you can even distinguish between my usual incoherent thoughts and this new method of news delivery. After the usual podcast segments, I want to go over the Gears 5 tech test, which I played a decent amount of over the weekend, so stay tuned for the end if you're interested in hearing more about the Gears 5 multiplayer. Alrighty, let's just jump into the news this week. Alright, our first story of the day. Long-running Remedy writer Sam Blake was on IGN Filtered, which, for those of you that don't know, is a very good podcast uh, hosted by IGN's Ryan McCaffrey. It's done once a month, and I highly recommend it. Uh, During the interview, Sam expounded a bit on the future of the cult classic Alan Wake, a game he himself is quite fond of. In regards to whether or not the game will ever get a sequel, Sam said, quote, I want to make it. It's a curious thing, Blake told IGN. At this point, so much time has passed. I feel that the bar is even higher in some ways. It needs to be done right if it's ever done. Everything needs to click into place, which is really hard to do and to make happen. So many things for these big games to be greenlit need to be aligned, but I'm hoping that someday ellipsis. So basically what's happening here is, I I mean, I listened to the entire podcast, uh, and... You know, uh, Ryan was kind of, uh, you know, just doing his thing, kind of uh, prodding a little bit, trying to find out about the potential future of Alan Wake, especially because it's it's been in the news a little bit in uh, on and off in recent history. You know, like a year or two ago, there was the licensing controversy where the the game was taken down from the Xbox Store and then re uh, uploaded after um there were some issues regarding you know music licensing from some of the songs that are contained in the game. Um, and then of course, most recently, just a couple of weeks ago, uh, you know we got the news that Xbox had relinquished the publishing rights to the Alan Wake franchise. So now Remedy completely owns and controls the Alan Wake franchise in, ty- in its entirety. Um, and it's just it just seems like Alan Wake kind of whenever Remedy's discussed, you know I know obviously they have a new game Control about to come out next month month uh but even aside from that it just seems like with remedy the conversation is always on alan wake um and it seems like not only is the fan base you know really you know passionate about this franchise but some of the team here at uh, remedy is also really interested in making a potential sequel happen or at least at the very least is just very uh fond of this game in particular out of all their other games Uh, which is saying a lot, you know, considering Remedy is the team behind the Max Payne series. So that being said, um, I don't, obviously there's nothing about this quote that says, yes, we are making Alan Wake 2. But why it's interesting to me is because it really does say that, you know, this is definitely something that's on the table. Uh, Remedy has only ever done a sequel once before, and it was when they made a sequel to Max Payne. 
which was the game they made after Max Payne 1. So it would be new for them to kind of go back to the well and and reiterate on a franchise they worked on a long time ago, even though they've made other games since. But that's not to say something like going back and making Alan Wake 2 wouldn't happen. Um, It's just to say that it is a little uncharacteristic of Remedy since they generally tend to make a game, be done with it, and then move on to the next thing. They're always doing something new. That's one of the things I love about them so much. However, Alan Wake, I don't know. There's something about it. It just seems like with maybe it's just all the news that's been coming up here and there lately, but it just seems like Alan Wake is one of those games that, you know, don't be too surprised if in a few years we see Alan Wake 2 is in development, you know? So I don't know. I just think this is kind of more of that information on Alan Wake, just kind of stirring the pot, alluding to the fact that not only do the fans want it, but it seems like some people internally want it. Um, and I mean, I, I'm, I'm betting that someday we'll get an Alan Wake too. I, I'm thinking this is a mirror's edge kind of game where, you know, it's like, it didn't sell incredibly well, but it did review very well, and the people that did play it really love it, and someday it's going to get its second chance as a result of that. Uh, however, unlike Mirror's Edge, I'm really hoping that when Alan Wake gets its, uh, its second chance, it's it's met with some commercial success as well, because uh, Mirror's Edge Catalyst was not... Uh, that game sold like ass. Anyway, so let's move on to our second story. It looks like uh, a third Plants vs. Zombies game, Garden Warfare game, actually, uh, could be in development, as EA has begun a... Uh, to privately invite alpha testers to try a new Plants vs. Zombies shooter, uh, being developed by the talent behind the popular Plants vs. Zombies Garden Warfare team. Eurogamer reports that the invitation for the pre-alpha was shown to them by uh, inside sources, and that was later confirmed when seemingly legitimate pictures of the invite began populating Reddit. The invitation reads that players are, quote, invited to participate in the new Plants vs. Zombies shooter, codenamed Picnic, playtest on xbox one and ps4 while it isn't certain if the new shooter is in the plants versus uh zombies garden warfare universe it stands to reason that this very well could be the third garden warfare game uh the alpha will take place um sometime early august a brief period in early august um this one i don't see why they wouldn't make a garden warfare 3 it seems like with the proper plants versus zombies games that they end up being like stuck on ios and android um and that they really don't have the home on console that they do on mobile um and so this garden warfare garden warfare franchise which has seemingly done very well you know there's there's been two of them i know the first one was really popular didn't follow up so much with the sequel but it seems like they've been doing well and i think it's a smart way for uh ea to have the plants vs zombies franchise on both mobile and home console because it seems like you know the typical iphone plants vs zombies doesn't really seem to do a whole lot on like standard xbox playstation hardware but then you have a more like gamer focused garden warfare kind of spin-off franchise which does do well on console and that way you can have the franchise kind of dominating in all the video game spaces if you will um so i wouldn't be surprised to see if they're working on a plants vs zombies garden warfare 3 judging by the pictures and everything of this uh, alpha they're teasing find it hard to believe that's not what it is i don't know why they would be working on a different kind of shooter in the plants vs zombies universe that isn't garden warfare so i would i expect to hear something about this soon um but yeah plants vs zombies might begin the garden warfare 3 all right our next story and now we're coming into some of the juicier news of the week uh npd numbers for the month of june 2019th have been released, and it seems like Super Mario Maker has taken the top spot uh, as the month's best-selling game, with Crash Team Racing coming in at second place, and the best-selling hardware for the month being the Nintendo Switch. Now, none of that sounds like Xbox stuff, um, except for the fact that Crash Team Racing is available on Xbox, although that's certainly not where it's sold best, but just let's just follow through. Um, 
Not only did Mario Maker 2 outsell the first game's initial launch month sales on both Wii U and 3DS, but it did so in very few days, having having been released during having been released during the final days of June. The Switch saw growth in sales, while the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 experienced a year-over-year decline in console sales, most likely tied to the announcement and the general awareness of next-generation hardware on the horizon. Uh, the top 10 best-selling best games for the month of June were in order. 1. Super Mario Maker 2, Crash Team Racing Nitro Fueled, Mortal Kombat 11, Grand Theft Auto 5, Minecraft, Super Smash Bros. Ultimate, Marvel's Spider-Man, NBA 2K19, Mario Kart 8, and Days Gone. Notice a lot of Sony and Nintendo, and not a whole lot of Microsoft on there. Now, of course, June is a slower time of year for video games, and Microsoft hasn't really been big on exclusives in the past year or so, but I'll be curious to see how the NPD uh, reflects Xbox games in Microsoft sales uh, as Microsoft continues to ramp up first-party output throughout the next generation, uh, as well as we see you know, these kinds of games on Game Pass as opposed to being sold mostly through traditional means like going to a video game store or Walmart or Best Buy or just digitally downloading your games. So what I find interesting about this list is obviously, you know, the Switch is dominating still, which is really great. Switch sales, from what I understand, have begun to wane just a little bit, but um, the Switch is killing it right now. Still, they're still on top, even selling better than PlayStation 4 at the moment, which is quite impressive considering the PS4 has either just approached or is really, really close to 100 million units sold through. So that is nothing to... Uh, for Nintendo to be disappointed in. Uh, the Switch is selling like crazy, and Super Mario Maker 2 making the number one spot doesn't really surprise me just because so few games get released around the May, June, July, August uh, window. Um, however, what is impressive is uh, the game was on the on the market for just a couple months there, or a couple days there in the, in the month, uh, and sold like crazy. And above all that, what's most impressive is Nintendo doesn't count digital sales on the NPD numbers. So you got to understand that Super Mario Maker 2 made the number one spot without taking into account uh, digital sales. That was just physical hardware. So, or physical software rather. Um, so very impressive to see uh, Mario Maker just bash the top spot like that. Of course, Crash Team Racing coming in at second place, which did come out, I believe, a little earlier in the month. Uh, so definitely, and then again, of course, Crash Team Racing is available on multiple platforms, not just the one Nintendo Switch. So that's really impressive how well Mario Maker 2 has sold. You gotta assume, like, tons and tons of Switch owners are picking up that game. Uh, and then, you know, Mortal Kombat, not so surprising. Not so surprising. Uh, it's actually now the number one best-selling game of the year at, at, at the uh, moment which uh, is pretty impressive. Finally knocked Kingdom Hearts 3 off from the number one spot. Um, but what's really interesting here is, of course, you know, as always, Grand Theft Auto 5 and Minecraft stuck in there. And the only game on this list that is Microsoft-related in any way is Minecraft at the number five spot. But remember, of course, Minecraft is available on everything despite being a Microsoft game. Um, so you got to think Minecraft is probably selling best. You know, these MPD numbers are reflecting mostly Switch and PlayStation 4 sales. But then you even see games like Super Smash Bros. and Mario Kart 8, especially Mario Kart 8, a game that's a handful of years old. Not only is it old, but it's also a remake of a game that's from 2014. So just like these Nintendo games that just stick on the NPD charts and never fucking leave, uh, which I think... It's pretty common. It's something we didn't see quite so much back in the Wii U era, uh, but now we're starting to see commonly again um, as Nintendo just does their thing and makes games that just sell forever. Um, 
at rounding out the list at number 10, you've got Days Gone, you know, Sony's most recent uh, AAA uh, exclusive release, um, still hanging in there at number 10. I believe that came out in April, so that's pretty cool. Uh, good for them or whatever. But I just, I think what's going to happen right here, what you're seeing with the NPD, I, I think we're looking at a future where you're not going to see Xbox really ever take the NPD because the future, uh, if the future of Xbox is, you know, we download or we play all of our games via Game Pass then, you know, you're not going to have digital sales. You're not going to have people running out to the store to buy the game nearly as much. Uh, and so what I'll be curious to see is, in September when Gears 5 comes out, will it make the NPD charts? I think, you know, Gears of War, like I've been saying for weeks now, you know, these Gears of War, these Halos, they're not nearly as popular as these franchises once were. But that being said, you know, a game like Gears 5, I fully suspect it, I fully expect, especially coming out in the month of September, that, you know, we would normally see that on the NPD top 10, at least somewhere in like the number six to three range, right? At the very least. Um, however, I'm really curious to see, you know, in September when Gears 5 comes out, are we going to see it like not make NPD? Um, just because so many people are going to buy it physically or buy digitally instead of going the Game Pass route? Or are we going to see it, see that not as many people have adopted Game Pass as we thought and that many people are going to go the I'll buy it route? Here's the thing is right now, Xbox has been having so many sales on Game Pass, Xbox Live, and of course, Game Pass Ultimate. They've been getting people in for as low as $1 for the first month of Game Pass Ultimate. So what reason do people have to not play Gears 5 via Game Pass. I really think, you know, and Microsoft's doing this very intentionally. I think they're trying to get people hooked on Game Pass right now in 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 these slower summer months so that, you know, they'll get that first month for a dollar, they'll get those first three months for $5, whatever the deals Microsoft has going on are, and then people will forget about their subscriptions and let, let it keep renewing, or they'll get addicted to Game Pass and see what a great value it is and stick around, which is, you know, what I did because Game Pass really is excellent. And the thing is, this is a very strategic move. First of all, they're going to do it kind of in the slower summer months so that people who aren't playing other, people who aren't preoccupied with other big releases that just came out can kind of play some backlog or some older games or some kind of recent games via Game Pass. And then what do you know, in a month and a half or whatever, when Gears of War 5 is out, or Gears 5 rather, um, there they go. They just have free access to it via Game Pass. And I think this is really Microsoft's like one-two tactic to like get a whole new wave of people onto Game Pass, especially because, I mean, this is, Gears 5 is kind of the first game um, coming to Game Pass that that really like is really appealing, you know? I know Sea of Thieves launched as a Game Pass game and, and Forza Horizon 4 and games like this, you know, every Microsoft game is coming out to Game Pass day and date on release day, but it's just, Gears 5 I think is the first big one they've had, you know? Like it's gonna be a big deal next year when Halo Infinite comes out. And you don't have to buy it. If you have Game Pass, you just have it, you know? But Gears 5 is the closest we've ever gotten to, like, that, wow, I can't believe this big AAA massive title game, uh, massive game of the year kind of game is just available for, because I have the subscription. And I think that's going to be a really big wow moment for Game Pass subscribers and Xbox users in general that they're going to say, oh, there's that new Gears of War game, and I don't even have to buy it. I just have it because I have Game Pass. Uh, and I think that's really going to be one of the first big moments that kind of in, on a major scale solidifies Game Pass. And I'm interested to see how that affects NPD. Yeah, I guess we will, we'll have to wait till October, of course, to get September's numbers. Um, but, you know, Gears of War 5 comes out early in September. So we have pretty much the whole month to let that game sell, sell, and sell. I'll be interested to see where it makes the NPD top 10, if at all, for the month of September. Um, and I think, you know, regard, regarding how that happens, how that plays out, uh, will be entirely indicative of how Game Pass is performing. So something to definitely keep an eye out for, something to keep tabs on 
we will, I guess, see more about that in the coming months. All right, next up, it appears that more video game veterans behind the massive successes like 2018's God of War, Uncharted 4, and the recently released Days Gone have joined Xbox's recently formed Quadruple A studio, The Initiative. According to some reporting done by website VGC, Ian Miller, Kai Zhang, Chris O'Neill, Ray Yeomans, who all worked at Sony's Santa Monica studio, have all since joined The Initiative, as well as Naughty Dog's senior designer, Robert Ryan. The latest hires join a host of experienced talent at the Xbox startup, including game director Daniel Nurberg, who was the uh, game director on the Tomb Raider series. Um, and lead designers Drew Murray, who held some role on uh, Insomniac's Sunset Overdrive, which is a fantastic game that you absolutely must play if you own Xbox One. The studio's director of production, Brian Westergaard, also worked on God of War as senior managing producer. So this is a big deal. This is the uh, maybe third time or something that we've seen um, a bunch of talent from so Sony's various studios run on over to the initiative and join Xbox and join this new startup studio that Xbox has going on to create new AAA immersive games to compete with the likes of, you know, your last of us uncharted and things like that. Um, this is really impressive that Xbox just keeps gaining this talent over and over again for the studio. I think people really, I mean, people are already very excited to see what the studio is going to do, but this is really telling that, you know, Microsoft, they opened the initiative strategically in Santa Monica, uh, right next to Sony's Santa Monica studio. And now they're poaching talent from next door and building up this massive studio to really kick Sony in the balls and say, you know, you're not the only one that can make a 2018 God of War, that can make a The Last of Us Part Two, whatever it is. You know, they're saying we want in on that market. We want to make that own kind of our own version of that kind of game. And we want to have, you know, one of those big story-driven immersive games that that light the gaming world on on fire and have people saying, This is why you own an Xbox. This is why you play on Xbox, is because this game, this kind of game doesn't exist elsewhere. And Honestly, I, I mean, I know you can't just judge this solely on the talent at, behind the studio, but this is impressive. The talent Microsoft is pulling for the studio, this is very impressive and very promising. I find it hard to believe that, you know, the initiative, I'm, I'm not saying that they're going to create the best game ever made or that they're going to create something just as good as God of War. Uh, but what I am saying is these guys are likely going to come out swinging with something very impressive. And knowing how Xbox's kind of modern approach to their game studios is, you know, Give them the talent, give them the time, give them the money, stand back and just let them make their magic. Um, this being that that's kind of the culture that they've cultivated over at Xbox Game Studios, I find it hard to believe that these guys are going to come up with anything short of just impressive. And I'm just super excited to see where this goes because this is exactly what Xbox has been needing all generation, all the Xbox One's life. This is what people have been clamoring for. This is what we've been saying Xbox needs is a big, serious, boundary-pushing competitor in this kind of story-driven, immersive, big, uh, expansive, like just immersion-breaking game. Um, and, and the fact that Xbox is finally addressing that and finally doing that is just so exciting. And, and I guess that's just kind of my Xbox in, inner fan coming out. But I mean, this is like, it's coming. It's This is imminent, you know? I wouldn't be surprised if at next year's E3, we see like some kind of splash screen teaser for whatever the studio is working on. It could be something really impressive. And I just think, you know, if you are interested in like the biggest, most impressive games happening in the industry right now, this whatever the initiative is working on is going to be one of those big conversation games. And I don't know, just 
as someone who's witnessed Nintendo and Sony have these games over and over again for years, it's just really exciting to see that it's Microsoft's turn. You know, they're going to, I'm excited to see what it looks like when it comes from Microsoft, you know, what like working for Microsoft and what being a part of the Xbox team means for a studio developing a game of this caliber. Um, you know, does it look, is this going to be like a, wow, that looks like a PlayStation game, but it's an Xbox game. Or is it going to be look like, or is it going to look like something in that vein, but somehow distinctively Xbox? I'm, I'm, I'm curious to know because, you know, you look at a game like Ghost of Tsushima or Days Gone or Uncharted or what have you, and, and you go, I mean, yes, these games are all distinct, but they look like a PlayStation game. There's something about a Horizon Zero Dawn, you know, they have this gritty, realistic look. They have this similar third person action adventure game kind of feel to them. It just has that big budget Xbox or sorry, rather PlayStation game, PlayStation first party feel. Um, And I'm excited to see what it looks like when Xbox tries their hand at that style of game, what it looks like when Xbox does it. Does it have a uniquely Xbox feeling to it or does it feel like a PlayStation game? It's just it's really exciting what the studio is working on. And I just think, you know, the more this this studio is quietly working away at whatever they're working on and continues to acquire this immense talent they've been acquiring, it's just it's just the more and more that I, I begin to like my mind goes off and wanders about what it is they're going to they're going to make up. So it's just really exciting to see what's happening over there. All right. Our next story is something of a bittersweet one. So the Xbox One dashboard has once again been redesigned and the latest iteration is available now for Xbox One Alpha and Alpha Skip Ahead users. The new dashboard removes the longstanding tabs for communities, store and game pass, as well as Mixer. Uh, and rather replaces them with new buttons for them. So underneath like the game icon where like whatever your latest game you've played is, there will now be four little buttons, four little tabs or whatever you can click from uh, to have the mixer uh, store and community pages instead of like, you know, pressing left bumper, right bumper to tab between, you know, those four, those four things. So just a little bit of a UI design um, and judging by a video I saw and some things I've read, it seems like some people are reporting it's a little bit faster, a little bit smoother. So a little bit of a UI overhaul just to make things a little more coherent a little more accessible, a little prettier, a little faster. However, this uh, this update is seemingly uh, not without its um, not without its losses. As unfortunately, Microsoft has made the tough decision to remove Cortana from the Xbox One experience, meaning that users can no longer navigate their dashboard via Cortana voice commands. However, users can still power on their Xbox using Cortana via the Cortana iOS and Android app, as well as the Alexa skill for Xbox. Um, a proper release date for the update has yet to be announced as of the time of this recording. Um, but this really kind of kind of sucks a little bit because it, this is kind of like the final nail in the coffin for everything the Xbox One was when it released back in 2013. So I guess it kind of only sucks depending on where you stand on this whole debate on, on the Xbox One. I, I really am of the mind that the original Xbox One vision was something interesting. It was poorly marketed, poorly brought out. Uh, the, the PR for it was horrible. Um, and the audience reaction was almost deservedly so horrible, but um, I really think there's something special about that original vision, and I really think it's kind of a crying shame that we never got to see it fleshed out or, or fulfilled, because I would have loved to see Xbox just stick with what they were originally doing, just to see how it would have made the Xbox uniquely different from the PlayStation this generation. Um, but instead, you know, we got this kind of backpedal, we're going to go do what you want, um, you know, just 
typical gaming machine setup and we lost connect and all these things happened and you know we have the xbox one we have today which don't get me wrong i think it's a fantastic console but i don't know there's just something as someone who's been there since the beginning with xbox one there's just something kind of sad about like they've they've overhauled the ui so many times but mostly always for the better and they're always improving it always making it more fluid and easy to use uh, but there's something about losing this Cortana functionality that's just like, there we go. It's like officially useless. The Kinect's officially useless. All the functionality, those original features of the Xbox One, all gone. I miss the Snap feature so badly. I loved watching baseball while I would just grind out on Titanfall. But of course, you know, all these features are just gone. And of course, the benefit to it is we get a faster, smoother experience on our Xbox One. But the downside is, if you liked any of those old features, they are gone. I think this is um, maybe a little indicative of what they're working on for the Xbox, um, the Xbox Scarlet. Keep in mind, you know, the Xbox 360 dashboard, by the end of its life, it was updated so many times that it almost kind of looked a little bit like what the Xbox One dashboard initially looked like. Although, of course, the Xbox One dashboard was severely missing some key features when it first launched. But, however, um, all tangents aside, I wouldn't be surprised if maybe where we're getting at at this point late in the Xbox One's life cycle, if the dashboard is a little indicative of what Microsoft's kind of cooking up for the Xbox Scarlet dashboard experience. Um, but also, this is a little bit of inside baseball for those of you that don't follow like Microsoft outside the realm of Xbox. But Microsoft is actually currently working on a new operating system called Windows Core. It's kind of like their iOS or like their iPad software or like their version of a, of a um, Chromebook kind of software, um, kind of geared towards more like light devices or like pocketable devices or like educational devices. And I wonder if. Microsoft has plans to use this Windows Core OS on their Xbox um, going forward with the Scarlet because, I mean, the idea of this, this OS is that it's lighter, it's faster, it's smoother. Um, the Xbox One is, I mean, the Xbox in general is not a console that, like, needs the full power of Windows 10, and currently uh, the Xbox OS is Windows 10 based, so I will be curious to see if maybe the Xbox Scarlet interface is some facsimile of like what the Xbox one interface has grown to be over the years paired with like windows core OS. And just, I don't know. I just think it's, I think this may be indicative of where they're heading at the very least. The, de the design aesthetic is at least somewhere in line with what current Microsoft is at. And I think that's at least noteworthy. And our final story of the day is that id software studio director, Tim Willits has announced that he will be leaving id Software after QuakeCon this year. Willits originally joined uh, id Software back in 1995 and went on to take the studio director position in 2012. In a tweet Willits sent out announcing his departure, he wrote, quote, After 24 years, I've decided to leave id Software after QuakeCon. I've been extremely lucky to work with the best people in the industry and on some truly amazing games. QuakeCon has been an unbelievable part of my journey and I look forward to seeing everyone at the Gaylord Texan, end quote. Willits has been, Willits has had his hand on games like Quake, Ultimate Doom, Doom 3, Rage, Doom 2016, and the upcoming Doom Eternal. Willits continued his announcement by saying, quote, all of the games currently in development are very, are in very good hands. My departure will not affect the any planned releases. Id Software is packed full of amazing talent that will continue to develop long into the future. Some of the best shooters in the world, end quote. This one's a little weird just because... You know, this game's got this guy's got a big game on the horizon this fall with um, Doom Eternal, and he's leaving the studio kind of in the final months before that game is published and goes gold and, and ships out. Um, so I just find that a little curious that he's leaving, you know, kind of at such a weird time. 
but he's going to finish QuakeCon and kind of make his final appearance with the audience and then kind of slowly leave. Makes me wonder like what he's got on the back burner, like what, what other projects he's working on or rather what's happening internally with, uh, with id or possibly Bethesda who owns id, um, that he's just maybe kind of being pushed out. You know, it's just, it's kind of a, a weird story, honestly, because, because clearly this guy's been a core part of the, of the, uh, of the id team for years and years, you know, um, and now he's just out almost without like real explanation. Not that he really owes it to the community, but I don't know. Just something about this just seems a little off to me. Um, either way, we wish him, we wish him, I wish him the best of luck uh, in his new endeavors. And uh, yeah, let's just, I assume, you know, with his departure, if it wasn't, you know, a, a drastic or a, uh, a kind of impromptu leave, then this has kind of probably been known internally for a while. Um, and so really shouldn't affect what we see in uh, Doom Eternal, kind of as he says in the quote. Um, but, you know, it's, it is interesting to see kind of how the future games will look, um, knowing that like such a indelible hand that's been there since the beginning um, is now gone, you know. Um, he's kind of been there since like some of the, the glory days back in the, in the a long time ago, as well as through the kind of rougher years through uh, doom three and post doom three kind of up to rage. Uh, and then even back to kind of this Renaissance era we're having now with id software with like 2016's doom and, and, and doom eternal and all this. So, um, no wishing him the best. It's just, just, I guess time for like, it's a new era, you know, he's, it was, it's nice that he was able to be there to kind of turn the studio back around and be there kind of as they, they got their rise to fame back a little bit, um, but, you know, on to newer and better things, hopefully. Um, and that's it for the news this week. So let's run through a couple little other things. Of course, Games with Gold this week. Uh, I'll just reiterate, of course, Limbo should be gone now, but Big Crown Showdown is still available for the rest of the month. Um, and then, of course, uh, as far as Xbox 360 games go, uh, Castlevania Symphony Night is no longer available, but Meet the Robinsons, Disney's Meet the Robinsons should be available for the remainder of the month of July, which of course is almost over. So be sure to download that if that's something you're interested in. My Game Pass Spotlight this week is actually going to be not a Game Pass game. I tried to make it to where every week this would be a Game Pass game, but quickly realized I'm not going to force myself to play a new game on Game Pass every single week just for the sake of this segment because it will inevitably lead to me forcing, suggesting, force suggesting some games that I don't necessarily love, but I feel compelled to suggest just so I have something to fit the segment for the week. So I'm going to continue, of course, to play and try new things on Game Pass. And when I see something worth noting, I will continue to note it on the podcast. However, um, for weeks when I don't have something to put in the Game Pass spotlight, I'm just going to talk about what I've been playing the week, for the week. And maybe that can be a recommendation as well. So this week, I've actually been on a little bit of a Gears of War kick since I played the Gears 5 tech test, which I will be talking about in just a little bit. Uh, but yeah, th- this week I've been playing through Gears 2. I'm about halfway through it right now. Um, Gears of War is an interesting franchise for me because... I never really liked it back when it was big. And then, you know, I kind of forced myself to play through Gears of War 1 with a friend of mine uh, back, like, in the old middle school days, so a very long time ago, uh, back when the game was newer. We pushed through it together, and I had fun here and there, but I wasn't crazy about it. I really didn't like the characters of the world all that much, um, and I thought the gameplay was fine but not incredibly addictive. Um, But that was my experience with Gears of War. Come Gears of War 2, my friend and I try again to reapproach this. You know, it, it was a nice, like, bonding experience to get to, like, do couch co-op and beat Gears of War 1 together. So we tried to do it again with Gears of War 2. I got about halfway through it and stopped and was just like, you know what, dude, this franchise is just not for me. I don't want to keep doing this. So I never finished Gears of War 2. Gears of War 3 came by. I never cared. Gears of War Judgment came out. Nobody cared. Gears of War 4 came out. I initially didn't care. And then when Game Pass first came out, 
um, or rather when Gears 4 was first added to Game Pass, uh, I, I decided one day, just out of boredom, I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give it a try. Who, who, who freaking knows? It's been like 10 years since I played one of these games. You know, my game taste has evolved a little bit, um, and I'm just really into Xbox. I, I feel bad that there's this massive Xbox franchise that I'm just not really into. So I decided to finally give Gears of War a second chance by playing through Gears 4, which is something I don't normally do because I like to kind of be versed in the games up until that point. I don't like to jump around in, in, in the series, but I was willing to make an exception because I really was convinced I didn't like this franchise. Lo and behold, I played Gears 4 and I fucking loved it for whatever reason. I don't know why. I loved it. I loved the new characters. I loved the new setting. I loved the new enemy types. I loved Gears of War 4. I thought it was a very good game. Um, and I just blasted through in like two days. I thought it was fantastic. And then I just remember saying like, wow, I guess I am excited for Gears of War 5 now because Gears 4 was so good. Um, and then I, I, I considered going back and playing 1 through 3 again and kind of refeeling the franchise and seeing how I felt about the old ones, but never got around to it. So, you know, now gearing up for Gears 5, I'm just like, I'm going to I'm gonna play the old ones. So I, I uh, didn't really feel the need to play 1 again just because I was like, I'll play the ones I haven't played first, and then if I really want to, I'll go back and replay 1. I know they remade it a few years ago. Um, so I, I'm starting with Gears of War 2, and so far I'm about halfway through it, and i got to be honest, I feel so weird about it because I still like Gears of War 4 so much, but I don't think, I think there's something about the old franchise I just don't like. I don't know what it is. I definitely enjoy Gears of War 2 more now than I did then. I definitely have a bigger appreciate for, appreciation for the level design, the gameplay uh, overall, but I just, I'm not crazy about the characters from the original trilogy. I'm not crazy about the setting. It's just a little too dark, a little too gray, a little too muddy. Uh, and there's just, I don't know, some, the story doesn't seem as interesting. It seems a little more militaristic, whereas the Gears of War 4 seemed a little more of like a focused story about, about a couple of characters. I just, I don't know. There's something about it. I, again, I definitely like Gears of War 2 more now than I did as a kid, uh, but I still vastly prefer Gears of War 4 and I, I'm a really big fan of what the Coalition's done with the franchise so far so uh, if anything this has only heightened my excitement for Gears of War 5 because I'm excited for something that's a little more like Gears of War 4 and a little less like the original Gears games so Gears of War 2 I know most people love that game I know most Xbox gamers have played that game to death and I am incredibly late to the party but it's what I've been playing this week I've been having a good time kind of working through it and I will uh wrap that up probably by the time next week's episode comes out hopefully permitting that uh you know a bunch of work things don't come tumbling down and take up all my free time um so that's it for what i've been playing or my game pass spotlight of the week i mean i guess it is on spot on game pass so it does kind of fit the game pass spotlight requirement but let's talk about the games coming out this week okay so this week we've got six new games coming out pretty pretty light week however we do have one release that is pretty notice notable which i'll get into as we go down the list so starting with the first game we've got para Pawarumi. this is an xbox one x enhanced game so you know you must play this game regardless of whether or not you own an xbox one x just because it's enhanced um so this game is a game where you're going to be like shoot you're on a little tiny ship and there's a bunch of little other ships it looks very similar to sperm and you're going to be shooting big giant colossal like future technology rocks look kind of like ancient pyramids um it's basically a twin stick shooter but instead of using twin sticks sorry instead of using twin sticks you're going to be using fraternal twin sticks Um, and basically what that means is that the one that controls your camera now controls your guns and the one that controls your guns now controls the enemy ships so this game is going to be pretty much impossible to play it's going to be very hard to control uh, but it does play take place in a desert so i recommend you drink a lot of water when you play this game our next game of the week uh is hoggy 2 
releasing July 24th. This game uh, kind of looks like Kirby meets Mario 2. It's a little 2D, like, dungeon exploring. I mean, it basically looks like Kirby. Just play Kirby. All right, our next game this week is called Furwind, which looks like a good game if you're a furry. You play as a little fox, you're in the jungle, these little tiki gods attack you. The game comes out on July 25th, I forgot to mention, and you've got leaves, you've got health bars, but the thing about this game is you're a furry, so all you can really do in this game is go on your Twitter and brag about the fact that you're a furry and only converse with other furries. Um, so even though it looks like you can jump, you can attack enemies, you can free your friends, you can complete levels, I know it looks like that, but don't let the screenshots deceive you because really all you can do in this game is just get on, you know, like weird corners of the internet on these forums and get on Twitter and just kind of converse with the other furries in the community. You can get naked with furries. You can smell other furries. You can lick other furries. You can do a lot of weird things with other furries. Uh, but you, contrary to the screenshots, you can't actually play the game. Um, so if you're a weird furry, you can play Furwind. Um, if not, if you're a normal human being, you can literally do anything else because you're free to not be a freak. Um, our next game is called Mighty Switch Force Collection. These games are actually pretty cool. I played a little bit of them. They've been available on Nintendo hardware. However, the Xbox version is different because it comes out July 25th. You get a gun. You're in a like an industrial kind of place. It's a 2D side scroller. But honestly, judging by this game, it looks like you enjoy shooting the things you shoot a lot. And I, the reason why I feel obligated to mention that is because if you, if you zoom in on the picture really close to the character you play as, you can notice they don't wear a whole lot of pants, but they do shoot a lot of people. Um, and so if you're, if you have, if you have time to shoot people, but you don't have time to put on pants, what does that say about you? I mean, that's, you must really enjoy shooting people. If you can't even put on pants, but you can put on shin guards and a little police light on, on your head and you can shoot things, but you can't even put on pants, fucking animal. Next game is Wolfenstein Young Blood. This comes out July 26th. It is Xbox One enhanced, and this game looks absolutely incredible. Um, I'm going to try to rush through Gears of War 2 so I can play this because this game looks fucking phenomenal. It's the game where you play as BJ Blazkowicz's two daughters. It takes place well after the second game in the Wolfenstein uh, series, and you get to shoot a lot of zombies, and, or sorry, a lot of Nazis, um, uh, and there's some, some mechanical dogs you get to shoot. You get to dual-wield weapons, and you get to play the game on single-player, even though it's meant for two-player if you're me because you don't have a friend to play with. Uh, and this game just looks badass, and I'm not going to make fun of it, and I'm not going to say anything other than play that game if you enjoy really good first-person shooters with a, a narrative component. And our final game for the weekly release this uh, week is Tetsumo Party. Now, this is a very offensive game because it takes place in a dojo, and you're going to be like, um, um, there's a samurai, and he's got wiggly arms, he's got polygonal arms, he's got weird arms, and uh, around the samurai, you see these uh, these um, flash notifications for left trigger, right trigger, left bumper, right bumper. And the thing about these bumpers is they kind of cover the samurai, um, which is like a metaphor for like how, you know, when you're a samurai, of course you entertain people, of course you play an indelible role in Japanese culture, but there are these triggers you have, you know, and like the things you do will trigger those around you, those who are a little more progressive and don't necessarily buy into the traditions of your culture. But then there are also bumpers, there are left bumpers, there are right bumpers, there are these things that will just kind of get in your way and stop you from being the samurai you're meant to be. And so I think this is a very poignant game about, you know, kind of this weird era of progressive culture on on such a traditional, old school, kind of very um, 
very staunchly traditional culture that is Japan. And I think it's really important that you play this game if you ever want to understand Japan. I think you're pretty much ignorant as fuck if you don't play this game. And also on the top left-hand corner of the screen, there is a score counter. So if you love games where you get to score, this is a good game to score. You get to score, score girls, you get to score points, you get to score uh, doggy biscuits. You just It's a good game to score on. And that comes out July 26th, so that's a good game to play. That's a good day to play a game because it's Friday. You can come home from your job you hate and go, I'm going to play Tetsumo because I like ninjas. And that's going to do it for this week's games. So now that all the traditional segments of the podcast are over, it is the time where you listen to me talk about Gears of War 5 because I played it this week and you didn't. Or maybe you did. I don't fucking know. So yeah, the Gears 5 tech test happened over this past weekend. And uh, what do you want me to say? If you try to play it, you know very damn well that uh, it was having a lot of technical issues. Um, Not so much when you were actually playing a game. Uh, I only experienced one issue when I was actually playing a game. I I was in a game that kind of lagged out. But otherwise, that aspect was very smooth. What wasn't smooth was the matchmaking. The matchmaking was hell. And now, of course, let me preface this by saying I expect something like that. It's a tech test. The purpose of this is to stress test the servers and to kind of get some early feedback so they can tweak and adjust things before the game launches in a few weeks. So I expect some hiccups like this. Wasn't surprised, wasn't disappointed in that regard. But yeah, I mean, they did improve ever so much, ever so slightly throughout the weekend with matchmaking times, but it was never good. Uh, I think I played a little bit the first day it was out on Friday and I was waiting like seven to 12 minutes per match to get in. That was awful. Um, But by by the last day, by Sunday night, I was playing, I was waiting like one to three minutes to get into a match so it wasn't really that bad and once you were in a match you know it would play on to the next match you only had to match make the one time when you start up the game so it wasn't really bad uh, that bad and they definitely improved um, but I'm, I'm sure this is something they will rectify and address before the game fully launches in September um, however of course I can't not mention that there are many matchmaking issues and I took to Twitter and and just kind of searched through and it seemed like a lot of people were having these issues and the coalition was very well aware of it and they were very vocal with their community that they were working to address these issues and make everything as smooth as possible. And they, I think they handled it very well. Um, but that being said, once you kind of get into it, this is this is my thing about it. The multiplayer in Gears 5 is really good. I played the arcade mode. I, I got to like level, I, I leveled up to like level eight. So I played a, a couple hours of this multiplayer. It's really good. It's really good. It's really fluid. And having played Gears 2 this week, I, I gotta be honest, Gears of War 5, like, you might not notice this if you haven't been playing the old Gears games recently, but they have tightened up the controls, the mechanics, the feel of that game so much. Gears 5 feels so good compared to Gears of War 2. And, I'm, I, you know, if, if you just play these Gears games as they come out, you might not notice, you know, how much they've improved. But if you go back and play, like, the original Gears of War games and then go and play Gears 5, you're going to notice a massive difference in, in just the feeling. It just feels so tight and smooth and... Very, very, very good game in terms of its control and its feel. Um, however, when you start up the tech test, it forces you to play this little tutorial, which I'm like, okay, whatever, we'll, we'll do it. It's going to be like the Apex Legends one where it makes you play like a five-minute tutorial. This tutorial is like 15, 20 minutes long. It makes you do all this stuff. It's like, I wonder if it's like the tutorial they're going to add in to like the actual game when it comes out because there was like dialogue for it and it just seemed like a whole scripted out thing. I'm like, there's no way this is just for the tech test. This is either going to be on the multiplayer when you get the real game or it's going to be in the campaign or something because it just felt so like, they put so much effort into this tutorial and it just, it felt so dated. It's like, why am I playing a game where I'm being forced to play a tutorial? The people who are going to participate in your alpha tech test are likely Gears of War fans. People who are very familiar with how to play this game. 
I, I'm not saying I hate the idea of having the tutorial, but man, like make it skippable, make it optional. Don't don't force us to play it. But unless there's a way to skip it, and I just didn't know. Um, I played through the whole thing, and I was just like, why? It took me like 15, 20 minutes to get through it. A little bit of an early gripe. I mean, I just I, I thought we were past this kind of stuff when it came to like just game design. But in, in 2019, that like we're gonna make the player do the tutorial. I don't know. I don't know. It wasn't fun. But once I got into the matches, it was a lot of fun. So each character is like a different class where like they have their own weapons and own skills. And then they have like these special things. Once you hit enough kills, you get like special weapons that you have access to. And like you can use special items and weapons. And it's just, I, I don't play a lot of Gears of War multiplayer. So I wasn't so familiar with uh, how new or different this was in that regard. But it felt like a very kind of nice modern deathmatch mode for Gears of War. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, I liked playing as Dell, uh, Marcus's son, because he had the chainsaw gun and I liked the chainsaw gun. And it was just, I I mean, I just don't know what to say other than like the game looks beautiful. It plays beautifully. And I'm very excited to play the campaign now because with Gears of War, I'm not, I'm not really into the multiplayer. The multiplayer is not why I'm there. I, I mean, I'll play a little bit of it, but I'm there because I want to play the campaign. And this tech test has absolutely gotten me pumped for the Gears 5 campaign because that's what I'm here for. I played the multiplayer. Everything feels good. Everything looks good. And I'm ready. Let's go. Yeah, that being said, I don't really have much else to say on the tech test. Uh, it ran a little wonky with the matchmaking. The tutorial was incredibly unnecessary, but the moment-to-moment -moment gameplay is good. The game runs good, looks good, and I'm excited for more. It will be coming back again this, uh, I believe. So I will play it again, and I will let you know if the matchmaking is improved at all. I assume with, you know, a couple days in between weeks, they will have the time to tweak it and make things look and run better. So uh, we'll report back on that next week, but that's really kind of just my little light impressions on Gears 5, or, or at least the tech test, rather, and I'm excited for more Gears 5. Uh, so that's going to do it for this week's episode of Xbox On. Remember, if you want to follow me on social media, which I know you won't and you don't, uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at @secondbestrock. Don't ask me why that's my handle. I don't fucking know. You can find me on Xbox at secondbest04. Add me. Let's play Halo 5 and nothing else. No, we can play... Halo Master Chief Collection, and Left 4 Dead 2. No, Left 4 Dead 1. And that's it for this week. Uh, thank you so much for listening. Please rate me on iTunes. You don't even have to rate the show. Here's what you can do. You can go to iTunes, go to podcasts, search up Xbox On, and then when you find my podcast, click on it, scroll over to the reviews, and you can write a review about me. It doesn't even have to be about the show. You can forget about Xbox. You can talk about me. Talk about how I'm a, I'm a failure as a friend, I'm a failure as a boyfriend, I'm a failure as an art student, I'm a failure as a podcaster, but I make really good breakfast burritos and um, I make really good omelets. Uh, so, but please leave a review, tell your friends, tell your family, tell your enemies, share it with your enemies. If you see someone down, if someone's mean to you, if someone insults you, you know, be the bigger person and say, hey, I got this podcast you should check out. I want your enemies to listen to my show. Thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next week for Episode 7 of Xbox On.